Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 151 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We're here with you on a snowy day in Guilford. Yeah, nice snowy day. Like it's been snowing practically all day. Yeah, it's really nice. March is always that funny month where you're kind of ready for spring, but then you realize it's not all the way spring yet. I know. Well, my birthday is on March 10th. And there's always at least one more snow before my birthday. Even if like you've had unseasonably warm temperatures like in early March, there always is. So when it started snowing today, it's March 9th. I was like, yep, yeah. here it is. Birthday present for Chris who loves the snow. I do. It's so lovely. I am ready for spring and summer though. Yeah, me too. And mm-hmm. um, I saw a bunch of crocuses the other day and that made me happy. Nice. Yeah, That's there's a great. house in downtown Guilford that... The entire yard is covered with these beautiful purple ones with the little orange in the middle. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'll yeah. walk you by sometime. That'd be lovely. And I noticed that there was a robin on our front patch of grass who was hopping around in the snow looking like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't anyone get the memo? Right. <laughs> well, speaking of robin, a different kind of robin, our friend Robin out in California, I want to give a shout out. Thank you. She did get in touch via email about a bookstore in DC for my upcoming trip. So thank you, Robin. Oh, that was so cool. That was not even a planned segue. Not at all. Wow. Look how we did that. It was meant to happen. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, Robin. That's really great to have a recommendation like that for Emily to, to get to. Yeah. And then we have a thank you to Wordsmith Lynn for becoming a Patreon. Thank you, Lynn, and welcome. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. Yeah, we absolutely appreciate your support. Thank you. And I wanted to say something, you know, it's kind of awkward when there are big things happening in the world. Chris and I are really devoted to making the podcast kind of a, you know, world news and event free zone, because goodness knows, there's plenty of places to find all of that. But then sometimes it feels kind of awkward not to mention what's happening in the big world as well. So something happened in the book world that is kind of a segue to talking about what's happening in the big world, which is that Paul Farmer passed away. I gasped when I read that. He's only 62. For those of you who don't know Paul Farmer, he is the doctor who was the founder of Partners in Health, which is a nonprofit organization that does a lot of wonderful work in the world. And there is a book about him that is one of my favorite books, So if you're interested in reading about him and maybe even giving a donation that could help with what's happening in Ukraine right now, Partners in Health is a great organization. They're not doing any work specifically in Ukraine, but they are in Russia. And the book about him is called Mountains Beyond Mountains, The Quest of Dr. Paul Farmer, A Man Who Would Cure the World. And this was written by Tracy Kidder. Nice. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. I guess it's a moment of silence for everything that's going on in the world and our hearts are with people who are suffering right now. Yeah. And donating is a way to help when you feel somewhat helpless. So that's what I did this morning. Doctors Without Borders is another great organization. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So Emily, what are you currently reading? I am deep into listening on Libro.fm to both and by Homa Abedin This is her memoir, and she does narrate the book. For those of you who don't know, and many people pronounce her name Huma, but it's actually Homa, which I've learned by listening to her say it. She was the aide to Hillary Rodden Clinton 
And when you're deep into listening to this book, you can't refer to Hillary anymore without just referring to her as HRC, which (laughs) is how she is referred to in this book. And she began working with Hillary when Hillary was the first lady in the White House. Homa went there as a George Washington University intern and began working with her. This book is so much fun if you're interested in a walk down memory lane of HRC's many different job posts in the country. I'm really enjoying it. There are some funny stories. There's a story where this is during Hillary's first presidential campaign. They've been in California. They're flying back to D.C. on a private plane from a Democratic donor to the campaign, and the airplane starts to have trouble. And they, of course, fly enough to know, like, this isn't normal. And Hillary's reading a book, and Homa's freaking out, and Hillary's just sitting there and not reacting and just reading the book. And finally, she says to her, like, how can you just be reading? And she said, there's a lot of things in this world I can control. I can't control what's happening now, so I'm just going to keep reading. And the whole time I'm reading this scene in the book, I'm like, what book is she reading? That's what I really want to know. And of course, I'm picturing her reading a Louise Penny because she's a huge fan. And then the flight attendant comes out to say an engine has failed. They're going to make an emergency landing. And Homa's like, through this whole thing, Hillary just reads. And then they make this emergency landing and she gets off the plane, you know, puts her book away. I just love that. (laughs) There's lots of really great stories in here. I'm only halfway. It's about a 20-hour audio, but really enjoying it. Again, that's called Both and A Life in Many Worlds by Homa Abedin. Well, I am listening to Run, Rose, Run. It is a suspense novel by Dolly Parton and James Patterson. Thanks to Libro FM for the advanced listeners copy. The book is out now in the world. I was actually at Walmart yesterday for something and they had it there. And I, of course, looked at the hard copy because I wanted to check it out. And for, I think it's Walmart and one of the other big box retailers, there's a special poster offer on the inside and you open it up it's like folded in the back like a map in a book sometimes you know how that happens and it's a poster of dolly and then like some lyrics so that's cool i got to check out the hardcover it's a substantial book i I forgot to see how many pages it was but i'm about 70 percent through and i'm really enjoying the story it is a little cliched at times especially in the beginning as they're setting things up it's about a young up-and-coming country singer, a young woman who's on the run from something awful. You don't really know what initially, or even at this point, and I'm 70% in, and you know, you still don't really know. And she is befriended by a woman who is like the number one country music star ever. She's not the queen of country music. They make it clear that's Loretta Lynn, but you know, you know, it's Dolly Parton. <laughs> And Dolly Parton narrates that role or performs that role, which is really cool to hear her voice. And it's one of those audiobooks where there are different actors doing different roles and they splice it in. So like if there's a character who's thinking about another character who said something, they'll have that other character say the words, you know, so they, they're doing a good job of editing those voices in. So you do feel more like it's performance. We'll see that the big country music star, she's in retirement and you don't really know what's going on with her either. There's some kind of heartache with her. You know, I'll just stop talking about it because I don't want to give any spoilers, but 
it's really good. It's entertaining. And I look forward to seeing what the heck happens in the end, because it's one of those novels that starts with the teaser chapter about somebody's chasing somebody and she's going to jump off of a hotel balcony in Las Vegas. And, you know, she's thinking like, she couldn't imagine this a year ago when all of this started. And you're thinking like, oh, my God, what happened? And so now, of course, you go back to the beginning and you're wondering how the hell does she end up on a balcony in Las Vegas ready to fling herself off? Hmm. You know, James Patterson knows how to write a good (laughs) suspense novel. So again, that is Run, Rose, Run by Dolly Parton and James Patterson. It is available now. And reminder, we're affiliates with Libro.fm. So if you join, you get two books for the price of one. Yep. And that link is in the show notes. Now, Emily, what have you just read? So I finished... Emma Straub's This Time Tomorrow. This is her new novel coming out on May 17th. She just did a big push on social media today about how important it is to pre-order novels. It really, or not just novels, books. It really helps authors and helps bookstores. It helps so many things. So I encourage you to do it and also to tell your library to order some copies. This was a really fun book. It's a father-daughter love story. Alice is being raised by her father, Leonard, who is a renowned author, mostly for a book that became a cult classic that was written in the 80s. That's a time travel novel. You know, he goes to those, not Comic-Con, but it's like a sci-fi con, whatever that would be, Mm -hmm. where people just want to touch him and talk about the story and the characters in the story. And it was made into, I think, a television show. So also the people who were in it. It was either made into a movie or a TV show. I can't remember. So on the eve of Alice's 40th birthday, she has visited her father, who's now ill in the hospital. She goes back to their house that she grew up in, and she finds this broom closet that she enters, falls asleep, and when she wakes up, she's 16 again. And she lived with her dad in this apartment in New York, Mom kind of fled when she was young and wasn't really a part of her life. And these two are so close, father and daughter. And then there's a cast of characters, some of which she continues to know in her 40s and some that she doesn't, but then revisits when she's 16. I sometimes have trouble with time-space continuums. You know, like I don't do very well with Star Trek and stuff like that. This one is manageable. It's got kind of a little bit of that... Gwyneth Paltrow sliding doors idea of, you know, she gets to go back in time a few times. And is she going to change what her life ends up being in the trajectory of her life? Or isn't she? Can she possibly change the trajectory of her father getting sick? Or can't she? Because that's really why she wants to travel back in time. Mm. Because the idea of her father being sick is just something she doesn't want to handle or not. I shouldn't say she doesn't want to handle it. She's being very responsible. She just can't abide it, wants him to not be sick. So lots of nineties references. So if you grew up in the nineties or were in New York in the nineties, I think you'll really appreciate that. There's lots of hot dogs. She (laughs) likes her hot dogs, music, the feelings of being a teenager and the feelings of being a 40 year old. She's a great writer. You're very safe with Emma Straub. I loved it. Again, it's called This Time Tomorrow. 
and pub date is 517. Nice. Well, I'm totally going to check that one out. And any writer who celebrates hot dogs is good in my book. <laughs> well, it. this one's going home in your bag. We already <laughs> talked about that. So enjoy. Nice. <laughs> well, I did DNF War and Peace. Yeah. yeah. You know, it never really captured me completely, but, you know, I was determined to read it. And it was entertaining, but it wasn't like gripping. And then when Russia invaded Ukraine, I just, I just like, ugh, you know, so I just let it go. Yeah, because you were also at that part where war was part of the novel, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, some of that. So I just let it go for now. Will I ever go back to it? I don't know. I feel like um, it's one of those I could now comfortably say I'd be okay on my deathbed if I didn't read it. (laughs) Like knowing that I at least tried it was good enough. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of books out there. Right. So what I did is I got out my handy iPad and got on Hoopla and I started looking for a kid's book to read. I found one that popped up for some reason, probably based on something else I had read. Uh, it's called Unspeakable, the Tulsa Race Massacre by Carol Boston Weatherford and Floyd Cooper. And this came out in 2021. I realized going from current day war, Napoleonic Wars to the Tulsa Race Massacre, (laughs) it's not like I was leading to anything enlightened or enlightening. But this was about the 1921 attack by whites on a very prosperous black community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. City blocks were destroyed in this massacre. And, you know, it won the Coretta Scott King Book Award for author and illustrator. It was also long listed uh, for the National Book Award. And it's for younger readers. Again, this is a picture book, so it is for younger people. So it is an overview of the racism that sparked this attack. It was this place where African Americans had come after the Civil War and started creating a prosperous neighborhood for themselves, a very prosperous enclave that had libraries and bookstores and barbershops and grocery stores and everything you can imagine. Resentment is what eventually burnt it down. What's shocking to find out is that there was no investigation into what happened for 75 years afterwards. So it's a really good young person's book, pre-sixth grade probably, And at the back of it, there is a bit of a historical narrative explaining a bit that would probably be helpful for parents. I hadn't known about this, what happened until I had visited the National Museum of African American History in Washington, D.C. a couple years ago. I think that was the first time I'd heard about it because it's not something that's taught in American history in the United States, at least not when I was coming up. From some of the reviews that I read, people had said it's just been in the last few years they've learned about it. Yeah, I learned about it when I watched that show Watchmen with Regina King. Hmm. The show opens with that. Okay. Yeah. So that was one I would recommend. And then another one that popped up then after that is also by Carol Boston Weatherford, who's a big name in picture books. This was a book that was illustrated by Jamie Kristoff. The title is Gordon Parks, How the Photographer captured black and white America. And this was a book from 2015. Gordon Parks was a very influential and important photographer is how he first made his mark. His dates were 1912 to 2006. He became a photographer when he was in his 20s. He bought a used camera 
he'd been inspired as a younger person when he saw a photographic spread of immigrant workers, I believe. He was African-American, and as a grade school kid, his white teacher had told his black students that, you know, you're just all going to grow up to be waiters and porters, so that's what your life is going to be. And Gordon wanted more. So Gordon was a porter for a while on a cross-country train, and that's when he bought his first camera in Seattle and was taking photographs and really became quite proficient quite quickly. He ended up doing photographs in Chicago and Washington, D.C., and he liked to kind of document race relations, poverty, urban life, and then the civil rights movement. Um, One of his most famous photographs is American Gothic, Washington, D.C., which was an African-American version of American Gothic, that painting of the farmer and his daughter standing in front of a home. This was a picture of a photograph of an African-American woman named Ella Watson, who was a cleaning lady in this government office. And it's a picture of her standing, holding a mop in one hand and a broom in another in front of an American flag. So it's really a profound photograph. Gordon was the first African-American to have a cover on Life and Vogue magazine. He went on to write novels, make movies. He was just kind of like a real Renaissance man. And again, that's another book where I believe at the end there's some information about him. Now, I did find that there were a couple errors in the book because like it says in the book, like he bought his first camera for seven fifty. dollars And at least on the Wikipedia page, it said it's $12.50. And then I found that confirmed in an interview he did. So was that a typo? Because, you know, $7.50 with a dollar sign could look like $12.50, depending. So I don't know. But one of the misses from that book was not mentioning the painting American Gothic and kind of showing what he was vibing with, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word. So anyway, two really great picture books for young people about African-American history and then a prominent African-American photographer. And again, that last book was Gordon Parks, How the Photographer Captured Black and White America by Carol Boston Weatherford and Jamie Kristoff. And then the other book was Unspeakable, The Tulsa Race Massacre by Carol Boston Weatherford and Floyd Cooper. I finished The Gloaming by Melanie Finn Melanie Finn is the author of The Hair, which was one of my top tens of 2021. I didn't love this book. I finished it. Wasn't quite sure I understood the ending. (laughs) But anyway, part of why I think I have to admit that I didn't like it is the crux of the story is it's about a woman who is married to a man who leaves her because he has an affair that leads to a pregnancy with the woman he had an affair with. So he leaves to go be with this woman and raise the child together. And then the woman that is left gets into a car accident where she inadvertently kills three children standing at a bus stop. When my kids were teenagers, there was a tragedy where... A group of my son's friends were walking down the street, but it was a country road, and one of them was hit and killed by a car. And being that it was a small town, we knew the older woman who was driving the car and hit and killed this young woman. I think it was just recently the 16th anniversary of her death. Mm -hmm. And so I think about her, and I think about the woman who hit her with the car and how it changed her life. And 
and that woman's family, and then the family, obviously, of the young woman who was killed. In this book, that's exactly what it's doing. It's this woman's life after this has happened, because just like you were talking about Run, Dolly, Run, the very beginning of this book starts with her in a hospital room. She's been in an accident. She can't remember what happened. She can't remember the accident. And then the story picks up with us finding out about her you know, the devolution of her marriage, her trying to figure out what her next move is going to be. And then also, is she to blame? Why did this accident occur? Mm. And then you see it from the viewpoint of a parent of one of the children who was killed. You see it from the viewpoint of another woman that's living somewhere else who had a son who died. So there's a lot of grief, parents grieving their children, this woman grieving that she killed children. It is dark. It sounds like it. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. It's not funny at all. But it's also just weird. Like it's a weird book. It's very atmospheric. I mean, The Hair was a dark book too, but for some reason that one worked a little bit better for me. I don't know what it was with this one. Part of it is she does that thing where it's back and forth in time, but you really have to pay attention to the dates because some of them, she's literally in a whole different part of her life before the accident, after the accident. She's moved now. She's living in this country before she was living in that country. It was very confusing to me also. So I didn't love it. I did finish it because I wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> but if you want to give Melanie Finn a try, I would recommend The Hair Over the Gloaming. She is a great writer. The book was well written, but the subject matter was really tough for me. Again, this is called The Gloaming by Melanie Finn. Sounds tough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that rundown and for reading it. <laughs> well, I read a novel called Salt by Katrin Keene. And this is a book I picked up last year um, to read this year for my friend Paula, who is a blogger at bookjotter.com. I think this is her fourth annual Wales Readathon, also called Dewathon. I believe that's how you pronounce it, Dewathon. I think some people have more of a stretch with the E, Dewathon. I need to watch some booktubers talk about it from Wales, the country Wales. This book is a short book. It's a sparse book, sparsely written. It's just under 200 pages, and it won the uh, Wales Book Award last year, which is also one reason that I chose it to read. I figured that would be a good one to check out. It's historical fiction based on the author's great-grandparents who married in 1878. The first chapter is in 1941, and it's an old lady who's like in England, and then it goes back to 1883. There are two main characters, Ellen and her husband is Samuel. The story in time starts in Cardiff in the 1880s. Ellen is a young woman who is living at home with her mom. And Ellen works as a maid in a sea captain's home, serving the wife of the sea captain and taking care of their bratty children. <laughs> and uh, she lives with her mom. Her mom has some anger issues and some psychological problems possibly that are attributable to the horrific situation and experience she had during the Irish potato famine where she lost so many loved ones. So she's kind of surrounded by ghosts in a lot of ways. But on the ship that returns the sea captain, Ellen's brother also comes home. 
He's a sailor on board ship, and he brings one of his good friends with him, this man named Samuel. So these characters I've been describing so far, they're all white. Samuel is a black man, and we find out he's from Barbados. And like I said, it's sparsely written. So there's no like drama about him being a different color or for Ellen. Like there's no descriptions about her being attracted to his difference or anything like you would kind of expect. In some novels, you see that a lot, but they fall in love. She ends up going off with him aboard ship and he's the cook. So he's highly respected and they travel the world. They end up for a while in San Francisco and life is really good. And then something happens and life is no longer all that good. It's one of those books that it is so sparse and you fill in a lot of the gaps, but it's beautifully written. And I really stopped a couple of times and thinking like, wow, this is so amazing that this is based on her great grandparents. I'm curious now to try and learn like how much of her great grandparents story did she actually know? They do go to visit Barbados where Samuel is from and they end up having to make some tough decisions about where to go. It's a heartbreaking story, but it's also beautiful. The part that's set in the 1940s is during World War II. Ellen is an old woman in bed with a broken hip. She did come to see some of the racism that Samuel experienced, and she sees more with her son that they have together, and then even with her grandchildren, some of the challenges. So the theme of racism is throughout the book, but I would think the love story is the predominant feature that and some of the cool sailing stuff so i highly recommend this book especially if you're looking for something short and really well written and just a story that kind of carries you along it's called salt by katrin keen well she's on social media so maybe you can see about asking her about that yeah that would be totally cool and and since it won the you know whales book of the year i figured there'd be a lot of interviews on uh, youtube and stuff as well curiosity did you have to order it from a different bookstore or could you get it locally or? You know, uh, this is a UK copy that I have and I bought it from Book Depository. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds really good. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It's one of those books that'll stay with me for a long time and then I'm going to keep on my shelves and probably reread. Yeah. And then I read some more picture books. I'll talk about it really quickly. I was super excited to come across this book and I'm not really even sure like how I did again, but it's called Such a Library, a Yiddish Folktale Reimagined. It's by Jill Ross Nadler and Esther Van de Berg. I ordered this one because our local library didn't have a copy. And the publisher, it's Intergalactic Afikoman in Seattle. And they had like a special on Library Appreciation Day to get a discount. So I thought, oh, I'm going to buy it. So while I was waiting for that one to come in, I thought I would check out The original picture book, It Could Always Be Worse, A Yiddish Folktale Retold with Pictures by Margot Zemach. How would you say that? Zemach? It depends. I don't know. I I might do the (laughs) Zemach. 1976, right? This book is so beautifully illustrated. The illustrations are very earth-toned. This Yiddish folktale is about a man who is living in a small home with his mom, his wife, and six children. And it's always loud. It's, you know, always crowded. So he goes to his rabbi for advice. Oh, I need quiet, rabbi. What do I do? 
And so the rabbi tells him, well, you know, bring your chickens in the house. And then it gets worse. And that, you know, <laughs> then rabbi, what do I do now? So, you know, in the end, the whole house is full of all the animals that the guy owns and he can't take it anymore. And he asks the rabbi, what do I do? And he's like, take your cow out, take your goat out. Yeah. So in the end, then he appreciates how much room they have and how orderly and calm everything is. So, you know, that whole saying like it could always be worse based on that. So this retelling of the story, such a library is about a young boy who's in the library. He goes to read in the library, the public library, because it's noisy at home. And so here he is reading and then he hears like people turning pages and keys typing. So he goes to complain to the librarian whose name is Miss Understood. (laughs) (laughs) You know, trouble's happening with that, right? (laughs) So he goes to complain and he says, it's like a party in here. Like, it's so loud. She's like, a party? That's a great idea. And she opens a book and all these balloons and party hats and everything fly out of the book. And then he says, oh, my God, it's like a zoo in here now. And then zoo animals appear. And then it's like, it's like a circus. You know how it goes, right? So um, in the end, the little boy shouts Then misunderstood. is like, there's no need to shout. This is a library. <laughs> And everything quiets down. So now he's happy with hearing the pages turn and the keys clicking because it could be worse. So really wonderful story. The contrast between the two, you know, the first one, it could always be worse being in more earth tones. And then this such a library being in more um, like primary colors and bold. I think they go very well together. I'd highly recommend um, if these sound of interest to you that you get both of them. In the meantime... When I had been looking to get a copy of such a library, I, I looked first at our library system and they didn't have a copy, but they did have a copy of another book by that publisher called Bubba and Bert's Matzah Ball Mayhem by Bonnie Grubman and Deborah Melman. This is a really cute story. It's again, it's a picture book for younger readers. This could be a good counting book because as Bubby's making the matzo ball soup, it starts going crazy and matzo balls start flying out first one and then two and Bart is her dog. So Bart is like super happy to be catching these matzo balls as they fly around. And then in the end, she actually tapes her pot closed. (laughs) So the matzo balls stay in there, but then it explodes. And then Bart has three of them in his mouth. And then in the end, everything calms down and they have a nice Shalom Shabbat dinner. So Wonderful story. Lovely. So I had some African-American picture books this time and then some Jewish picture books this time. And they make me so happy to read at night. I mean, tough subject matter for the African-American book on the Tulsa race riot. But these other books, they make you feel like there is order in the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A little laughter, maybe even. Exactly. Yeah. And just the nice colors. I'm always amazed at how people can illustrate books and just bring a story to life in that way. So that even if you're not reading words yet, you can still get the gist of the story and know what's going on. Even if someone's not reading it to you, you can kind of tell what's going on, that the matzo ball soup is going crazy. (laughs) Right. Well, I remember my kids too, before they were readers, they start to feel like they can read because it's been read to them so many times. They start to tell the story out loud and think that they're reading, which is really fun, you know? So, or sometimes they ad lib. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of fun stuff. 
Well, we had some Biblio adventures. We did, man. We were on the road. It was so much fun. We did. First, we had our Zoom read-along discussion of A Snake Falls to Earth by Darcy Little Badger. We had a really good discussion about this book. We did. It was so much fun. And we want to thank Emily, Colleen, Kim, Melinda, Julie, Robin, Nancy, Ellen, Sue, Katie, Karen, Kate, Roby, Linda, Linda, two Lindas, for showing up and talking about it with us. Yeah, and it was really great. We talked about the book in terms of it being a YA book, for one. It was the first YA novel, I think, that we had as a read-along book, a read-along selection. And so that's not everybody's cup of tea. So not everybody was completely in love with the book. And we just want to put it out there that if you read a book and you don't really like it, still come to the conversation. Don't feel like you have to come to a discussion being an evangelist for a book, you know, because sometimes I think the best conversations are when people don't really like a book. And you have some people like it, some people don't, some people are on the fence, because then you get such a mix of opinions and different takes on the book as a whole or scenes in particular that I think are really fascinating. Agreed. Yeah. And the other thing that was different about this book is it's a sci-fi book. And we are kind of committed to trying to read a little bit out of our typical genres this year. And this fit the bill for that as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, I really enjoyed the story. You know, I wasn't I wasn't, was I gripped from the beginning? I don't even remember now if I was particularly gripped. But I know at about the halfway point, it really took off for me. Yeah, it became, what did they call those? A journey story? Yeah, like an adventure. Yeah, it changed a little bit midway. Yeah. Yeah, but it's generally speaking about two different worlds. There's not a lot of world building, though, so don't let that make you afraid. Like for me, sometimes with sci-fi, there's so much world building, my brain explodes. This one is not like that. Yeah, this one, both worlds are there. There's the the human world that we're familiar with. And then there's the reflective world where animals can speak and also transform into their fake form, which is a more human form. Right. But they still have some characteristics of whatever their animal is. So like one of the main characters, Ollie, who is a cottonmouth snake, when he transforms into his fake human form, his eyebrows are scales. Right. And they end up having to go on a journey because their friend, Ami, who's a toad, is ill. And we find out he's ill during, due to something called extinction. Yeah. So this is a little spoilery at this point. But, you know, there's global warming happening that is causing extinction on Earth in the human world that is affecting the reflective world. Right. So they go to Earth to try to find a healer for Ami, and all sorts of adventure ensues. Yeah. Yeah, I really loved all the characters. We went around and asked people, like, who their favorite character was, and a lot of different takes on that, on on who people's favorite character was. And it helped me appreciate some characters more. Right. Yeah, I enjoyed that. And some people's favorite character was a human character and some was an animal character. Mm-hmm. And now I know why cottonmouths are called cottonmouths, because they have a white mouth. Like, I never knew that. Yeah, I don't always think about things. You have good critical thinking skills. So I was just like, oh, it's a cottonmouth snake. <laughs> but Chris, we were driving down the road and she was like, I finally get it. Why a cottonmouth snake is it called a cottonmouth? I was like, do tell. Because <laughs> yeah, Ollie says something about his white mouth or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 So really fun. I, I enjoyed it very much. I'm glad we chose it. Yes, me too. 
And we have not chosen our next read along for quarter two, but we will be making that announcement on the next episode. Yeah, the next episode. And I think, you know, one of the things um, Katie had written in the chat that she enjoyed the book and that what really struck her was how this YA book read like literary fiction for her. So we are going to choose another novel. Since last year we focused on nonfiction, we figured this year we would have more novels as our read-alongs. So stay tuned. Yes, we promise the announcement is coming. (laughs) Forthcoming, is that how you say it? Such a hard decision. Yes. But we went on some Biblio adventures together. We hopped in the car and went to Riverbend Bookshop, which is in Glastonbury, not too far away. Yeah, really lovely drive. It was a nice sunny spring day and really cool bookstore. I mean, it's kind of on the small side, but it's very well organized. Yes. And it's in what I would call an old house. Would mm-hmm. you refer to it? That oh, yeah, yeah. Like an old Victorian. Yeah. To, which yeah. I love. I have an affinity for anything that's a retail establishment in an old house, especially restaurants. I think that's super cool. But they did have it really well organized. I mean, there was plenty to look at, even though... There were like, what, three rooms, right? At the most, yeah. yeah. And I was just like, even when we were walking out, I was like, oh, I didn't even see that section. Yeah. It was like the nature section. I never got to for some reason. And yeah, then it was kind of mixed kind in. Kind of mixed in, yeah, right? Because when you walked in, there was a table with some new fiction, I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah. And they had a really big children's section, mm-hmm. quite large. Yeah. And some fun sidelines. And they had some things for Women's History Month because we got there just as Women's History Month was beginning. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can I say the thing about the bird stickers? Please. Oh, my God. So on one of the tables, they had some sidelines there and they had these two circular stickers with the bird on it. And one of them said, I poop on racists. And the other one said, I poop on fascists. And those cracked me up mightily. I had to get some. Yes, I bought one for a friend's birthday. I thought it was hilarious. Yes. And my sadness was I didn't buy one for myself. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, so. well, we'll just have to go back. Yes, yeah. indeed. Highly recommend that you stop there if you get the chance. Fun fact, which I learned when I was posting our pictures when we visited, is that it's called Riverbend because... The Connecticut River takes some serious bends through Glastonbury. Yeah. So well, that was kind of cool. And they have three libraries in town. Check those out too. The main library is just down the street from Riverbend Books, and they have a gorgeous, what is it, an oak tree mm. out front that mm. it's one of those, you know, with the long branches that are just, it just looks so inviting to climb. And they just did a big renovation there. We tried to go, but for some reason, the day we were there, they were opening late. So yeah. we didn't get to. Yeah, it's a cool little town. Yeah, indeed. So then after that, a couple days later, we went on another biblio adventure together that took us through part of Rhode Island into Massachusetts to New Bedford. Yes, we went to the New Bedford Whaling Museum. Wow. Such an amazing museum. I'm so glad we went. I mean, New Bedford is known historically as a town where whaling was very popular. Yeah, it was like the center of their industry. And they were the kind of like the center of the whaling world, too, for the United States anyway. It's gorgeous. You know, you walk in and there's a huge blue whale skeleton hanging from the ceiling and then two smaller whales. And blue whales are the biggest mammals on earth. So imagine looking up at that 
It's just so tremendous. And there was this really odd thing that I noticed as I was walking up the stairs. There was like this little beaker of oil and you turn your head and you follow it up and it's actually dripping from the skeleton. And we come to find out that whale bones will drip oil for a really long time. I think they said they predict that it'll be dripping oil until 2060. Yeah. So they have this kind of like a plexi catching thing from the the head of the whale, the skull bones dripping and then going down into this little tube into the beaker. Yeah. Uh, really yeah. Cool. And then you see drips on the floor. Right. We didn't get dripped on. I was kind of hoping we would. I thought that'd be fun. <laughs> and what else did we see? I mean, there's so much to talk about. I want to talk about the gamming chair. Yeah, that was a pretty cool thing. So you kind of keep walking through rooms upon rooms. You come to a model ship called the Lagoda. Which is huge. I mean, it's a model ship that you can walk on right. as if it's a real ship. And beside it, they have lots of little fun facts about whaling ships. And one of them was this gamming chair. They had a sample of one because at some point, women and children started to join sailors on these ships. Can you imagine? Well, yeah, like the captain's wife initially. But what it was, it kind of looks like a barrel that's cut out with a seat in it that ropes are attached to it. The woman would sit in it and they'd send her from one ship to another so they could visit. Or gam, as gam. they called it. You, have, you know, and I was like, I wonder if that's where gab comes from. Yeah, I don't like, know. You know, gabbing, yeah. Yeah. this is called gamming, G-A-M-M-I-N-G. And they did imply that it was for women, but that's yes, a good, they did. you know, yeah. as if men don't want to gam also. Oh, well, I know a lot of gamming men. Especially now that cell phones are a thing. Right. <laughs> you can totally see them talking a lot more. Yeah, no, the, this museum, it's huge. It is really big. And you just keep going, as Emily said, you know, from room to room where they'll have a different focus. And one of the first rooms is kind of like a a parlor, what you would have seen in a rich person's parlor who would live in New Bedford in the late 19th century, mid to late 19th century, with the fancy china and the beautiful sofas and things like that. And then they have a lot of great paintings. They have a whole gallery of beautiful whale ship paintings and just ships in general. Yeah. And there's a special exhibit right now about the Azores because there was a lot of whaling back and forth between the Azores and New Bedford. Yeah. And yeah, just different traditions. There's another big room with a sperm whale skeleton that's on display on stilts there, you know, so it's not hanging from the ceiling, I guess is what I mean to say. And it has big containers of the sperm oil, the spermaceti, and what that looks like. And they have a whaling boat. So the actual boat that the sailors would go out on from the ship to actually hunt the whales. So you get to see, you know, up up close and personal, like how big these creatures are and how small the boats were and the humans are compared to them. Yeah. And I'm thankful that we're not whaling anymore. Yes. But I will say the positive for me about the museum was also... A lot of what they're doing now to protect whales, the Navy is very much a part of that and how they're following whales and tracking them and preventing them from being hurt by Navy ships. Right. With sonar and everything, because I remember that was a big issue in the 90s, you know, when they animal rights activists started learning that whales were being negatively impacted by the sonar that the U.S. Navy was using. The Navy is now investing money into 
studying whales and protecting them and understanding them. Anyway, it's a really great museum. And they always have really great special exhibits. I know the first time I was there, they had one about the scrimshaw, you know, like all the different things sailors would make aboard ship. They also have this really wonderful viewing platform where you can go outside on the upper levels in the back of the museum and get a nice view of the harbor. Which is still very much a working harbor. Yeah. Yeah. You get to see all the working ships there and stuff. And if you look down, you'll see the Whalers Inn. And that's where we had lunch. Yes. The Whalers Tavern. The Whalers Tavern. Yeah. We we had to get some grub after we (laughs) went whale crazy. Chris is wearing this beautiful little whale necklace, I have to say, because I'm sitting across from it. We both love whales. Just to bring it around to books, there were a lot of Moby Dick, Melville quotes <laughs> sprinkled around the museum. And then in the museum bookstore, there were different versions of Moby Dick amongst a lot of other yeah. books for yeah. sale as well. Different editions. Yeah, it was fun. We had a good day. We sure did. I think it is one of those museums that has a little bit of something for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I went on a biblio adventure by myself to the Westport Public Library, which has undergone this huge renovation. And someone we know had posted that they recorded their audiobook there. So I wanted to just go and see what the recording rooms were like and just see what this big renovation looked like. I have to say, Chris, I didn't love it. Hmm. I mean, it's an interesting space. Like you walk in and there's a huge open space with a stage where they can have performances. And actually they were queuing up some sort of concert. So there were chairs there and people were sitting and unbeknownst to me, I walked through it and everyone was looking at me like, did you pay? Where's your ticket? I didn't even know it was going on. It's overwhelming. There's a lot to look at. Two cool things they have is they have a cafe, which I can't say I've been to a public library with a cafe. And then they have a store a library shop, which the Seattle Public Library, the main branch, has a really cool store. But then everything felt built around this big space where there are performances. So Mm. as someone who likes to work at the library, I thought that was kind of interesting because there's a hallway with a bunch of tables that face this open space, and that's where people were working. And then there are a lot of closed little conference rooms, which that is cool. You and I are often looking for places where we can quietly meet at local libraries. And a lot of them have like one or two little spaces, if you're lucky. They had tons of space for that. And then you go downstairs, and this is all along the Saugatuck River, this library, which is pretty cool. So the downstairs they call the Riverwalk Room or something like that. And that's where fiction was. And the, the book stacks in general are down there. And then going upstairs was where the kids' stuff is, which I took a picture for Chris and all the kids' books. But what I couldn't find, because I had brought a book and I thought, oh, I'm just going to treat myself to just sit in the library and read for an hour. There's like no comfy spot to read. Really? Just sit and read. Yeah. Hmm. And that surprised me. Now, maybe if there wasn't an event going on, that huge room that they had set up with chairs facing the stage would be more of like a hangout, relaxing area. I don't know. So interesting. I mean, I was there before they started this huge renovation. It's been a couple of years. And they did have the cafe and the books, uh, the gift store. I wonder how that's changed. But that's kind of surprising that they don't have comfortable seating Mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah, like I said, maybe they bring that in 
when they take the chairs away that are facing the stage. So we'll have to go back and yeah. explore together. Yeah, because this was a $20 million renovation. Yeah. So you'd think they could throw in some plush seating. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just more like it felt very modern, which I'm a fan of modern, but in just like open. It's hard to explain. Mm. Like there were definitely no cozy nooks, you know? Yeah. So maybe we'll schedule a work day to go work down there and reserve one of the rooms. And I will say all of those rooms were being used. And a lot of them looked like college age kids, you know, meeting together, working, you know, scribbling furiously on whiteboards and stuff like that. So it was a very well used space. It just didn't have what I was looking for Mm -hmm. on that particular day. Mm. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Let's, let's set a date. Yeah. Go do some work. One of those rooms, yeah. And this won't shock you, but I also found a great bakery down there called Needs, Mm. K-N-E-A-D-S. Super yummy. All right. So we'll stop there. I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a Biblio Adventure 2 of the Zoom variety uh, just last night, actually. It was through the Society for the Study of American Women Writers, which I'm a member of. I, I used to be a member a long time ago and just hadn't been, but I became a member again recently. They have a new series called a first book series. This wasn't the first book for these two scholars. Jennifer Puzzi and Claudia Stokes were in conversation about their newish books. Both of these books came out in late 2021. Jenny Puzzi's is called Fair Copy, Relational Poetics and Antebellum American Women's Poetry. And then Claudia Stokes' book is Old Style unoriginality and its uses in 19th century U.S. literature. Really fascinating. And disclosure, we were buddies in graduate school back in the day. Like I said, that was just last night, but it gave me so much food for thought because Claudia, I mean, both of them were kind of in conversation while they were writing their books. This whole idea of originality in literature is a modern conception up until World War One, it was considered good not to be original. You were giving the reading public what they wanted. And then especially for marginalized writers, people of color, women, writing something in the style of the literary tradition that you were writing in gave you credentials. You know, it showed your education. It showed your talent in ways that if you were going to be original, wouldn't because you wouldn't find a place to fit. And as somebody said, you know, you think of Herman Melville, who you mentioned, some of his books were hugely popular, but then Moby Dick was a huge flop because it was really original and different and people don't know what to do with that. And I think that's quite true today. I think we do gravitate towards reading what we're comfortable reading, but we always talk about things as being new this is a fresh new voice, Mm -hmm. but it's the same type of genre, whether it's literary or something, you know? So it was with the moderns that the whole concept of being original became something that was desirable and like Mm -hmm. a break from the old. And I know there's a lot of conversation about that with World War I in general, just how that completely changed Western culture. We have a lot of food for thought from that event. And I'm curious to check out these books because both of them did a lot of archival research too, which is interesting. And Claudia made the point that, because there was time for Q&A and somebody had asked about being in the archives. And she said, you know, when you're in the archive and you're researching a collection, you don't always know at the time that you're seeing something significant or that's going to be an important thing 
in whatever it is you're writing. You know, you don't, it doesn't dawn on you until later. And then Jenny had said that for some of these writers, like she reclaimed some writers who weren't published or who have faded from the literary scene, like working class writers, um, African-American women writers. And she said with them, they may not have an archive, but you can sometimes find conversations about them and letters of other people. And then you also just kind of sometimes have to create your own archive of them. So lots of interesting points there. Really fun event. So the Society for the Study of American Women Writers, it is kind of academic heavy, I would say. But if you're interested, check them out. They do have a website. And we will put that in the show notes. So the gentleman caller and I went on a walkabout this weekend in New Haven because it was such a beautiful day. We just were walking all around the Yale campus and taking left turns and right turns. And we came to this beautiful building behind a wrought iron fence. And it's this big white granite building with no windows. It really stands out. I looked at my map. I was like, what is that? And it's called the Society of Book and Snake. Have you seen this building, Chris? Yeah. I've read a book about the secret societies of Yale. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is the fourth oldest secret society and was the first society to induct women Hmm. into its delegation. It was founded in 1863. And it just made me think about those books that you've read a lot about with those secret societies. And it was so creepy to me that there were no windows. I know, right? I I just, yeah. (laughs) Just the idea of a room without windows, it feels coffinish. Yeah, and especially for it to be granite. There's no way you could get out of that thing. I know. <laughs> so anyway, I just thought I'd share that. It was really cool. Walking around Yale's campus is always fun in New Haven in general. And it made me miss our jaunts to Sterling Library. I did stop in to ask them. There's big signs on the door saying, you know, you have to have an ID to get in now. And I asked the guard at the front desk if they were going to be opening it back up to the public. And he said he hoped so, but he hadn't heard anything, Okay, you know, imminent. So Yeah, I know here in Connecticut, they dropped the mask mandate in um, late February, mm-hmm. right? So everywhere I've been going, though, in grocery stores and people are still wearing their masks. Yeah, and I would just understand that a college campus would want to protect its students and faculty and just like interlopers are not welcome, which I totally guess. Yeah, with those secret society buildings, I think are so weird. I mean, because it's such a thing like secret society. I mean, and then you have this gargantuan building with no windows, so it sticks out like a sore thumb. Right, well, and also seven foot tall wrought iron black fence with a big bolt on it. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess the secret part is that you have to be nominated and then there's a process of getting in. Because I think, is it the skull and crossbones that like George Bush and George Bush Sr. were both members of? Yeah, they know the secret handshake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So have you got any upcoming jaunts scheduled, Chris? Well, I do. And I'm going to announce this one now just because you can get your tickets available. They are now open. This event is not until June 2nd to the 4th, but it's the annual Willa Cather Spring Conference. This is going to be their 67th annual spring conference. It's in Red Cloud, Nebraska, but it's also going to be online again, too, using the Whova app, which they've done the last two years. And it's been very successful. I've enjoyed that. So they're going to have um, both. You know, you can go in person or you can do the app option online. And of course, some things won't be available on the online 
portion. But their special guest this year, one of them is going to be Maureen Corrigan, who I know a lot of our listeners will know. Another is going to be James English. He is a professor. One of his books is The Economy of Prestige, Prizes, Awards, and the Circulation of Cultural Value. So he's going to be giving a lecture that talks about the impact of literary awards on the author's life and their legacy, their books, and their readers as well. Each of these spring conferences tend to focus on a different Cather novel. And this year, it's going to be one of ours, which Cather won the Pulitzer for. We've talked in the past about award winners that don't always seem to be the best books or the most interesting. And then certainly when you look back at some of the award winners, you think like, God, what a bomb. And then all these other, you know, now what we consider now these influential books came out the same year and were ignored or something like that. So I'm really looking forward to this. And Maureen Corrigan was invited in part because she was a Pulitzer Prize judge. So she's going to talk about what goes on behind the scenes. And that I think it's super cool. I think that will be super interesting to to learn a bit more about the deliberations that go on behind scenes. Because when Cather won that Pulitzer for one of ours, it was a really loved book by the public. Veterans loved that book. You know, she got tons of letters from them. But critics, it was a mixed bag. And certainly other writers didn't appreciate that a woman writer won a Pulitzer for a World War I novel. So there was the gender issue as well. Right. Um, but you can go on to the Cather website. We'll put the link in the show note if you'd like to pre-register for that. Again, that's June 2nd to the 4th, the annual Willa Cather Spring Conference. How about you? Well, I was just going to say, it's funny because, you know, my book club read The Sentence by Louise Erdrich this last time. And we were talking about how she won the Pulitzer for The Night Watchman, but that didn't seem to be her most popular book. And we were wondering, is it kind of like, you know, someone gets the Pulitzer, is it really for that book or is it for their body of work? I mean, I know theoretically that's what the Nobel is. Mm-hmm. We were just wondering about that or if it's okay, this author's really prolific. Their work is great. We've overlooked them. They should have gotten a Pulitzer by now. You know what I mean? I you know. Yeah, you do. You wonder yeah. about that. And especially just how it's part of the literary world and the judges are part of the literary world. And then there's all these connections and relationships and you got to wonder about that. And then you got to wonder if there's a little bit of a, what do they call that? Grease in the old palm. Mm -hmm. Maybe Maureen Corrigan will talk about that. I doubt it. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that'll be cool. But that's a really fun conference. They have a lot of other panels and stuff too. That's Um, great. So if anybody's interested, do sign up for that. And I have an upcoming trip to D.C., so I'm going to be heading there and going to some bookstores. Robin recommended Bridge Street Books, which I'd never heard of. And then I'm definitely hoping to get to Bold Fork Books, which is a food-centered bookstore. Nice. Yes, it's owned by a restaurant owner, so that's a curiosity to me how they would possibly have time to do both. And then Politics and Prose is on my list. I've never been there. Yeah, that's so, cool. That's yeah. the only one I've been to out of those that you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And Drumroll. This is a great Biblio adventure that I'm not sure I will be going on directly, but I wanted to share this with our listeners. So Laura Toma, my wife, who's a playwright, one of her plays is going to be in a festival with the Eden Prairie Players up in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, which is part of metropolitan Minneapolis. 
And this is May 13th, 15th, 19th, and 22nd. It's their annual Woman's One Acts Festival. So they have chosen seven plays by different women throughout the country. And Laura's play, Heartache Tonight, was selected to be part of that festival. It's a really cool play. I love it so much. It's set in a library. It deals with a woman who's going in to pick up her DVD hold. And the library clerk is a bit grumpy. <laughs> and they they have a conversation that goes in a variety of directions. So I really love that play. And I'm really proud of Laura and so excited that her play was selected as part of this festival. So exciting. And tickets are available now. We'll put a link in the show notes. Bonus points if you go, if you send us a picture of yourself there <laughs> at bookcougars at gmail.com or post on social media and hashtag us. Yeah, that'd be super awesome. You know, you can hashtag Laura too if you want. But. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to be May 13th, 15th, 19th, and 22nd. So you have four different days to choose from. And that's Eden Prairie Players. So what are your upcoming reads? Well, my next selection for my book club, my in real life book club is The Gilded Page, The Secret Lives of Medieval Manuscripts by Mary Wellesley. This just came out in 2021. I bought a copy when I saw it at our local bookstore, Breakwater Books. I really look forward to reading that and I'm happy the group was willing to go with that. And then I have another book that I saw somebody and I'm really sorry I didn't write the person's name down. Somebody gave this book a good review on Instagram and said that it helped them understand a little bit what's going on with Russia invading Ukraine. It's called The Ukrainian and Russian Notebooks, Life and Death Under Soviet Rule by Igort. I-G-O-R-T is his name. This was originally two separate graphic novels that came out, The Ukrainian in 2010 and then Russian Notebooks in 2011. What I have here is a combined edition that came out in 2016. And I don't want to say I'm looking forward to reading it necessarily because it deals with a state-created famine in Ukraine in the 1930s. And then the second deals with the assassination and murder of a journalist. So it's not going to be pleasant reading, but I do want to learn more about what's going on from different perspectives. That seems like a, a format too that would be maybe a little bit easier than reading a big long history book. Yeah. Well, it won't be maybe like as detailed as reading a heavy text mm -hmm. that goes into a lot of detail. You know, the thing about graphic novels is like we were talking about picture books earlier, a picture can say a lot mm -hmm. that it could take pages to say. Right. Well, upcoming for me is a picture book Ooh. because it involves a biblio adventure we're going to be going on. Savoy Bookshop is hosting Andrea Wang, who is the author of the beloved now Caldecott winning Watercress. And I grew up with Andrea so that's really exciting for me. And we're going to go see her speak and share the book at Savoy Bookshop in Westerly, Rhode Island in April, I think April 10th. Yeah, I'm super excited about this. Yeah. So this book is about her growing up in rural Ohio. So that's really cool. And then I also have O. William by Elizabeth Strout which is a continuation of the Lucy Barton story. Oh, wow. You're going to go for it. Yeah. Nice. Another book that both of us have coming up is called They Called Us Girls, 
Stories of Female Ambition from Suffrage to Mad Men. This is by Kathleen Stone, who's going to be an upcoming author spotlight. Briefly, it's a collective biography of seven women who aspired to professional jobs in the mid-20th century. It was an era when women were expected to find fulfillment at home in the mold of television's June Cleaver, but these women broke the mold, defying expectations to succeed in jobs reserved almost exclusively for men. As doctor, lawyer, artist, physicist, executive director, and intelligence officer. And this book is available now. Awesome. And then also a reminder in our Out Now, remember we are going to start trying to remind you of books we've talked about a little bit before their release date. In Love, A Memoir of Love and Loss by Amy Bloom is out now. It just published on March 8th, yesterday. And Amy also is going to be an upcoming author spotlight. Yes. Look forward to talking with her about that. Yeah. All right, everyone. Another episode is coming to an end. We wish you all happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back again in two weeks with another episode. Until then, come chat with us on social media. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, we would love to have you join our community. All of the books that we talked about in this episode are listed in the show notes, which you can find at bookcougars.com. Each book will link to our bookshop.org page where your purchase will help support not only the book cougars, but also independent bookstores everywhere. And if you're an audiobook listener, we do have a special offer from libro.fm. You can find all of this information on our website. Again, that's bookcougars.com. Thanks, everybody. This episode is edited by Pat Keo Sound Design.